Thank you for joining us for this message. Whether you are watching for the first time or are simply catching up on a message you miss, we are so glad you are connecting to God's Word today. Our hope is that as you listen to the message, you will experience a real encounter with God. Please consider giving financially to support God's work through our ministry. You will find several options to do that by clicking on the word give in the menu on our website at kentwoodcommunitychurch.com. May you be inspired by the word today. I'm going to ask you out of respect for God's word to stand. And we're in Colossians chapter 2. We're going to read the first 15 verses. I will read the first verse, and I believe on the screen will be the verses that follow that you will follow along with Micah. Hear the word of the Lord. I want you to know how much I agonize for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have, who, who have never met me personally. Verse 2. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 4. I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. Verse 6. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down, grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Verse 8. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. Verse 10. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, cutting away of your sinful nature. Verse 12. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life, because you trusted the mighty power of God, who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of your sins. Verse 14. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Let's pray. And I'm asking today, Lord, that the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight. And as the prophet Samuel prayed long ago, we pray now, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And all God's people said, Amen. thank you, Micah. You can have a seat. Can you give Micah a hand? Well, before I preach, I realized something I've said to a few of you, but uh, today is actually, it was actually yesterday, but today celebrates, or it depends on your perspective, my second year anniversary being your lead pastor. Two years. Two years. Now, would we have ever thought when I came to fill this pulpit what the next two years were going to be? Not a chance would we have ever known what this past two years has been, but I'm just grateful to be here. 
I would say to you that it has been my call of God to make this church and enable this church to stand the future that is before us because we know the road behind us isn't the road in front of us, so we can't continue to do the things the way we've always done them. I've appreciated your grace and your sensitivity and your forgiveness when we didn't get it always correct, but I'm here to tell you we are navigating on the, on the every moment and of every time trying to figure this thing out in the world in which we live. Um, I had a great meeting this uh, past week where we are looking to develop. We look at, we're really excited that it looks like we're getting closer to developing the land around us with housing that enables us to have incredible impact with the church being the center of all of these homes and being able to give us a, uh, an ex uh, actually, yeah, that's exciting, but giving us an alternative revenue stream. In addition to that, we're looking to see the second level of our daycare, Explore and Grow, to be built, which will double the size and the ministry and the scope of our Explore and Grow, which is exciting. And all of those are a part of us being able to have a church that will continue to stand in the days and the weeks and the months and the years ahead, knowing that God is able. Can I get an amen, church? Amen. Not only that, has that been a goal of mine, but it's been my goal and the reason why I encourage you to keep your Bibles open is that it's been really a passion of mine that I begin to teach us what it means to have a biblical worldview. You're probably like, he beats that drum every week. A biblical worldview. We can't get away the way we've always been able to get away from it. If you know the Bible just a little bit, you need to allow the urgency to go up a bit because the things that are happening around us so quickly, you're gonna to have to have lenses that are gonna help you understand what does the Bible say about this situation and that situation, the things in front of us. So it has been my desire to enable you to understand through a variety of ways that we would truly understand what does scripture say in the, in the reality of our situations. Does this make sense, church? We are committed to the word of God to the very end. If we're the last one standing, this is the eternal truth. It will stand until the day that Christ comes back, even if it is no longer popular, even if it is no longer politically correct, even though it may be offensive, even though it may be called bigoted and all the rest. I will tell you, it has stood the course of time. It will stand the course of time. And this church called KCC will always follow God's living word until he comes again. Can I get an amen? So we're in the book of Colossians, and I've asked you to stay open in your Bibles there because we're going to look at it, and we have entitled this message or this series, Jesus, Our Supreme Authority. He is our supreme authority, and last week when we were in chapter one, what did we say as a quick review? That the reason why he's the supreme authority is because verse 15 of chapter one says he's the visible he made the invisible God visible. In other words, Jesus is the Son of God. He is God, the incarnate. He is the second person of the Trinity. If you wanna know who God is, you have it in Jesus. He is the demonstration, and if that is in fact true, number two, he's then the connector of all things. He connects the creation as we have it. He connects the church as we have it. He connects our lives as we have it. And if those two things are true, then he is the reconciler of all things. First us to him, and then us to one another. That was chapter one of Colossians as we looked at this supreme authority. Now, Paul is the writer. He's dealing with lots of issues, false teachings, trying to pull the church in to understand what does it mean to have an intimate walk with Jesus Christ. Now, as I look at this first century church in the city of Colossae, 
and I look at their, their, their youth and their desire to stay open, there's some eerie comparisons to what they were facing, the Colossian church and KCC church. And although there's thousands of years between us, and though there's lots of cultural differences and lots of different challenges, there's some similarities that are really screaming at us today. The first was this, and is this, universalism was being taught in that day. Meaning, not just Jesus, but you could have lots of other teachings. I'll take Jesus and a lot of other things. You know what I'm talking about. Now, we did this really in a bad way when we went as missionaries years ago to the continent of Africa. We started presenting the gospel of Jesus, but we didn't teach how to live for Jesus and how to go deeper with Jesus. And lots of the folks didn't understand culture. And as they um, did the things that they did, they basically preached Jesus, but didn't teach people how to live for Jesus. And folks that were coming from this, this um, basic religion called animism, they, kept, they held on to their animism. And then they said, oh, I'll take Jesus too. And they grabbed their little porridge of syncretism and they pulled it all together and said, I'll just, I'll just pick the best of all of that. And we've seen that over and over again. And in America, that's pretty common today, is it not? I'll take Jesus with a little bit of everything. That's what Paul was dealing with last week. We talked about this thing called Gnosticism. That was a reality of a situation. The second commonality is spiritism. In that day and age, it was all about the flesh was evil, so spiritism was what was mattered. So it didn't matter what you did with your body. We live in a day and age where, where everybody says they're, spirit, they're, they're totally spiritual. They don't want any organized religion. They don't want any accountability. They don't want anybody to tell them what to do, right? I can be spiritual and do whatever I want, live like hell and be spiritual, right? That's the reality of the two churches. Although they're different, a lot of similarities. The third comparison between the church in Colossae and the church in Kentwood is that they were adding other things unto them that were not necessary. Not only were they adding the Gnostic teaching, they were adding all of the old Judaism teaching and said, oh yeah, oh yeah, by the way, we'll, we'll make you do this too. You gotta be, we'll talk about this in a moment, you have to be circumcised and you have to follow the laws of Moses and you have to follow the decrees of the Levitical code and all of these things in addition to everything else we've said. If you've grown up in the church, have we not done a really good job with that? We told people, you gotta you get yourself all cleaned up. You gotta dress a certain way, right? You gotta act a certain way. You gotta have a certain lingo. There are things that you can't do. You can't do this, this, and this. And then you can become a part of us. That is not the gospel according to Jesus. Anybody with me? At KCC, we have flipped that up on its head. And what we have said, tell me with your response whether you believe this is true or not. We believe, we, 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 we operate in this way. You can belong before you believe. And before you have to believe before you can become. So everybody, I want you to understand clear, whether you're watching online or whether you are here, you can become a part of us before you even believe. Does anybody agree with that? You can come as you are. We're all messy at the foot of the cross, agreed? And then as you belong with us, we would love to have influence through God's word to show you and point you to the one that is the answer of all life. His name is Jesus, right? And then once you believe, he starts to do all the work. We don't have to tell you what it looks like. He will tell it through the word of God and through the Holy Spirit that comes alongside us. Can I get an amen? amen. The fourth commonality between the church in Colossae and the church in Kentwood is... Truth was a moving target, and truth today is a moving target, is it not? 
I will create truth that will fit my narrative. I will create my own uh, types of truth that can allow me to live the life that I want. The church there was doing that. The church today is doing that. And the fifth is limited acceptance of Jesus' teachings. Oh man, is that not true today? We're all about, you know where the mercy and compassion and justice comes from? Jesus. He's the one that brought this revolutionary teaching that justice needed to be happened. Equality needed to be happened. People needed to have advocates and caring for one another and being merciful to one another and caring for the poor. That all came from Jesus. You with me out there, church? And yet we accept all of that, but then the other teachings of Jesus, we just don't want to talk about that. Like loving your enemies. We want to go there. How about broad is the road that leads to destruction. Anybody want to preach a sermon on that? And many enter through that one. He goes on and on and he tells us, what about you men who look at a woman lustfully? You've already committed adultery. Any men excited today about that teaching? See, we pick and choose what we want from Jesus. The Colossian church was doing exactly the same thing. And Paul has this incredible heart. We see it here. If you have your Bibles open, you see something in verse one. It says, you there? My translation says, he agonizes. We look into the life of Paul. He agonizes with the people in Colossae. It says he also agonizes with the people in Laodicea. But if you keep reading verse one, he had never even met them. How can you care so much for a people who you've never seen and you don't know? It says something into the life of Paul, does it not? It says something about his connection with the Father. And the more I get connected with Jesus, the more my heart will bleed for the nations. So we can do the exact same thing as Paul, can we not? We can care for half of the world's population who's never heard of Jesus one time. Three point some billion people who've never heard of Jesus. And we can agonize like verse one because we believe he's the way. Does this make sense to anybody? We see clearly this is what this is all about. He was a defender of the faith. And we see that from Paul, he leads and he writes. He's in, pre he's in jail when he's writing this, by the way. He's already paying the price. And he doesn't even see it as a price. What does he see it as? An opportunity. I count it a privilege that I'm in jail for Jesus. How many of you, if we were arrested, you would all be in jail saying, well, praise the Lord. I don't think there's too many of us that would be truly able to go there. I believe today from chapter two, there are three action points. There are three action points he's calling us to do. The first one is this, verses two to seven, he's calling us a call to be faithful, a call to be faithful. Can somebody say, I'm yours, Lord? That was weak, say it again, I am yours, Lord. Now let's define what he's trying to say here. If you go to verse seven, go to verse seven, what does he say? He says clearly in verse seven, let your roots go down into him and then let your lives be built on him and then your faith will what? Grow, okay? Now, let me define clearly. Faith is what we believe. Faithfulness is how we live out what we believe. I'll say that again. Faith is what I believe. Faithfulness, or to be faithful, is living out what I actually believe. So in other words, you say you have faith, you say you believe something, but when push comes to shove, and, and, the, and the rubber meets the road, it's in that moment that you will know what you really believe. It will show through your life. Does this not make sense? We have a church full in our country 
that says I have faith, do we not? And then the last 24 months happens, and then we show what we really do believe. We show where we really do put our faith. We show what really is most important to us. So we see literally thousands of people who are no longer engaged with the church. Oh, I believe, but where are they today? You see, faithfulness and faith need to match with one another. And the world is waiting to see if those two actually come together. The opposite of faithfulness. And now here's the other thing about this, verse seven. How many of you are my kind of personality? That you are a driver, get her done kind of person. And with those kind of personalities, we feel really, really good when we accomplish things in a day. Come on. We get beat up a lot because we're that way, but can anybody just celebrate with me that we, there are people in the world like us? There are people. It isn't all that bad. But we're always called, we're always called whom? When, we, when there's Mary and Martha, and we're always like, we're sitting in those sermons, and we're like, oh, oh, oh shut up, right? Right? You need all kinds of people, do you not? And what we see happening here, I have no, no idea where I was going with that, but that was a great thought. I was like, whoa, where was I going? I think that's because I'm 55. It's going to be more. If I'm here in Jesus' territory, you guys are going to have so much fun with me over the years. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The result we see happening here in verse 7, that's where I was. Many of us that are drivers, we try to say, okay, point number one, I'm going to be faithful. So what do we immediately think? I'm going to try harder. And what does the Bible say? The more you try hard, you end up messing up more. Romans chapter 7, by the way. Anybody been there, done that? I'm really motivated by pastor's sermon today. And so as a result of that sermon, I'm going to walk out of here and be more motivated than I've ever been. And in a matter of hours, you screw up even more than you did before you come. Has this ever happened to anybody? You with me? Here's the point. You and I have to come to the reality that faithfulness is not about my ability. Verse 7 says, my roots go deep and I have a relationship with him and then he gives me the ability to be faithful. I don't, it doesn't come with inside of me, it comes from a relationship with him. It's the only way to work. Now the opposite of faithfulness is what? Unfaithfulness. And unfaithfulness leads us to lots of chaos and hurt and pain. Do you remember in the Old Testament, I reminded of the story of uh, the prophet Hosea. And Hosea has a wife that's being unfaithful to him. Not only is she unfaithful, but she's making profit by it. And God says to Hosea, stay faithful to her, even though she's unfaithful to you. I want you to understand something. This is the way my heart feels all the time with you all. Because the Bible says, I believe in Timothy, that when we are unfaithful, God will still stay faithful. And I want you to understand this, prophet. This is what happens every day in my life. And we are in the middle of chaos all around because we have so much unfaithfulness all around. I remember when my wife and I were headed overseas and, my, and, and, and up to that point in my 20s, I think I was, we went over, I was 30. So in my 20s, I was out speaking in the, doing the circuit and, and seeing God do great things, etc. And then my mentors and a few of my critics, as we were getting ready to go to the Islamic world, they said to me, you're not going to last. Your personality just won't, won't, won't make it there because Islamic ministry is long and tedious. And you may only see one individual come to Christ in 15 or 20 years and you just won't be able to make it because you want everything yesterday, etc., etc." 
And what I realized in that moment as I would respond to them, and I did respond to them, I'm like, it's not about me being successful. It's about me being faithful. I can't change anybody anyways. I need to be faithful in the small things, faithful in the big things, whatever it is that he calls me to be faithful in that. And in your faithfulness, by the way, stop comparing yourself with somebody else's faithfulness. Enjoy the faithfulness that you have in your moment that God has given you. And the enemy wants to do this comparison game all the time. And as a result of the comparison game, you actually lose the joy in the middle of your faithfulness. Is this too deep for you or is this, am I the only one that this kind of happens to sometimes? Come on, church. It is there for all of us. And what we need to understand, God has called us to be faithful, not necessarily successful. Well, that blows up in a few preachers' uh, sermons today. He calls us to be faithful, not popular or talented or powerful or famous or influential. Those are all fine, but at the end of the day, it's about being what? Faithful. And faithfulness, he says in verse two, faithfulness is seen in the following way. He says in verse two, if you're there, you will have confidence. When I am faithful, I will have confidence, or in some translations, courage. Does the church need courage today? The only way we're gonna have confidence or courage is in the faithfulness of God that he's called us to do what he's called us to do. There's one danger of any leader is that when they stand up and they don't really believe that which they're about ready to decide and therefore they're waffling back and forth about their decision and in that moment, the wolves come out and eat them alive. Anybody been there, done that? But when you know that you know that God has called you to do whatever it is he's called you to do and you're faithful in that, that will give you and I the confidence and the courage to move forward even though it may seem impossible. We need confidence and courage today in our faithfulness to first and foremost have courage in our relationship with Jesus Secondly, in our courage and our confidence with one another. Because he says in the second part of verse two is that faithfulness is seen in our, us being knit together in love. While the world goes sideways, while the world according to Matthew 24 is the love of most grow cold, but it will be the church's finest hour to end our faithfulness is to be knit together in love. You following me? A sifting will happen. And the people that said they have faith I go back to the book of James, even the demons believe and they shudder. You show me your faith by what you believe, I'll show you my faith by what I do. Faith will give a proof of its faith by the life that's transformed on the inside out. Does this make sense to anybody? And one of the evidence, according to verse two, is that believe it or not, we haven't seen it in a lot of ways, especially in the last two years, we will actually love each other. See how quiet it is in here? We will love one another, we will be knit together in love when it seems impossible. This is what faithfulness looks like. He says in verse three, faithfulness will be seen in wisdom and knowledge. Anybody in the middle of it? Anybody needing wisdom from God? Probably most of you would raise your hand. I'm in the middle of something and I need God to do what only God can do. Verse three promises he will un un unwrap the hidden secrets that you and I can have. He's willing to give it to all of us. Those who love him and are faithful to him. These are the advantages of verses two and seven of what faithfulness actually looks like. Verse four, faithfulness avoids, we're gonna talk about this in a minute, seductive teachings. I will say this, we're gonna to need to know what we know what we know more than we've ever known what we've known. Sounds like a Seinfeld show. At this day, in this moment, 
because we have things happening all around us. The Bible actually tells us, doesn't it, that in the end days, there are gonna be a lot of charismatic speakers and they're gonna be really good. Some of them can even um, actually produce pseudo miracles, meaning they think that it's a miracle, but it's actually, it's actually occurs through the enemy and it will never last. I've been in those situations. They will give you what your itching ears wanna hear. You will never suffer. Yeah, all you need, God owes you this. You just do this and life will be happily ever after. That's a lie. We're in a fallen world. That's why we have a cross. We have a cross because life's not fair. That's the truth, whether you believe it or not. And he promises he'll be closer than a brother. He'll stick with us to the very end. He'll give us what we need in the midst of the pain. As I've said it before, pain is God's megaphone to get our attention. I say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, because I don't like pain. Anybody else with me? His faithfulness will allow us to know what we're about. It's time for us to go deep, verse seven, in the roots and stop and get off the roller coaster, emotional ride. Many of you who are listening to me today, you are up and down and all over the place, and God's saying, get off of the roller coaster, dig into me, and I will give you what you need, right? The first call is to faithfulness. This, and the key point is this, Jesus is calling us to be faithful in all areas of our life, in all areas of our life. Anybody here wanna be more faithful? I'll ask again, anybody here wanna be more faithful to our Lord and Savior? Yeah, I believe you do. Well, let, let's ask for it right now, are you okay? For those of you, bow your heads. Anybody that feels comfortable, raise your hands. Lord Jesus, right now, we pray in Jesus' name that you make us more faithful. We can't, but you can. Give us the ability to be people that are living out our faith. Not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit, says the Lord. We declare to you, we wanna be faithful to you. In all that we say and in all that we do, come and make your church faithful to the very end. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you believe that God has heard you? I'll ask you again, does you believe that God has heard you? Amen. The first call is a call to be faithful. And I will say this last thing, this was a little added extra. Faithfulness is lived out a lot easier before the fire. It's a lot harder to live faithfulness out when you decide you're gonna be faithful when all things go sideways. It's possible, but it's a whole lot more difficult. Be faithful today so that when all the struggles of tomorrow show up, he will give you what you need. Anybody that's lived life and has been faithful know exactly what I'm talking about, right? The second call that he calls us to in verses eight to 12 is a call to beware of additional teachings. A call to beware of additional teachers. Somebody say truth. truth. Say it again, truth. truth. Now the greatest challenge today that I've already said is that we're seeing the destruction of truth before our very eyes within the last 24 months to truth as we know it has now completely absolute truth has been wiped out. And we have taken and we have deconstructed the Bible to allow people not to believe that it is no longer truth. If you have no starting point, we are a dangerous people to ourselves. As we remember from the Old Testament, in the era of the judges, everybody did as they saw fit in their what? In their own eyes. Chaos ruled the day. It is now revisiting us. And when we get to this point where we're in trouble, we must believe that Jesus' teachings are enough. 
In today's world, we've got the gospel, we have additional gospel teachings. We've got liberational teachings. We take critical race theory and put it into the gospel. We put tons of stuff into the gospel and the gospel can stand by itself. Can somebody say amen? Doesn't need more help, doesn't need any additions. It is complete and final from the beginning to the end. But boy, are we all about adding teachings to it. In verse eight, it says, the Colossian church, don't let anyone capture you with what? Empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense, I love that, that come from human thinking, from spiritual powers of this world. He's saying to us, my friends, the, another translation says the elements of this world. Do you know what he was alluding to right there in verse eight? Astrology. They were looking to the stars. Now let me just say this clearly. If you're newer to us, we are not to look to the stars for our answers. We are not to look to the stars for the future. The stars in the universe are creation. And Romans one says, we don't worship creation, we worship the creator. You with me? We've got churches full of people with their syncretism. I love Jesus and I'm looking to the stars. Can't work that way. Uh, where do you get that, Pastor? Well, I don't have time, but it's in your notes. Deuteronomy 18, Leviticus 20, Isaiah 47, Micah 5. I can go on and on that denounces this worshiping and looking at the stars. Not only did they do that, we've been doing this on Wednesday nights, which I invite you out. I've said yesterday to men's Bible study that if you, want, if you, don't, if you don't want community, don't come on Wednesdays because we're having community. That's reverse psychology, by the way, I just did never worked on my kids. I don't think it'll work with the church either, but anyway. But we did a, a chapter one of, of uh, too many books I'm studying, Hebrews, and they were tempted to worship the angels. The church in, um, the Colossian church was doing the exact same thing. And Jesus was like, I'm enough. You need to understand it's all about me. The second thing is you saw, I've already alluded to in verse 11, in some translations, it's like they were caught up into this whole circumcision. In order to be a believer, you have to be circumcised. And, and he's like, you've already been circumcised spiritually, right? You don't need to add more things onto this. We add these unbiblical extra beliefs and it's called legalism. Anybody raised in a legalistic church? We've already talked about it. This is what it looks like. And we've run people off and young people off. And, I, and, and, and yet, let me just say this. We go, the, the church goes in different um, extremes. For years we were in legalism. We had all these rules that you did. And it was so oppressive, people ran from the church as fast as they got into it, right? But I would just say today, we're in the opposite extreme. We're into today's world where the book of 1 John calls it um, lawlessness, which means it is sin. It's another word for sin, where people will say, you can't tell me to do anything. I'm free in Christ. And I'll go back and quote uh, Paul in, in Romans 6 and says, well, yeah, grace does increase the more you sin, but by no means should you keep on sinning. Scripture's very clear about that, yeah? You can't have it both ways. And we see that they were adding this extra stuff, adding rules and regulations. It's all about power and it's all about control. When the church split, I could do a whole class on that, and you had the East go to the Orthodox and the West went to Catholicism, and as the church started to grow, all of a sudden, two examples of power and control. The Catholics for years said, when we went to the Vulgate and the Latin, and the scriptures were written in Latin, and they said the lay people should not be able to read the Bible because they'll screw it up. At the end of the day, it was all about control. 
And even in Islam, as you look at the Quran, they will say that the Quran is the spoken word of God in Arabic. It's just another ruse for power and control. Any other translation of the Quran is not the actual Quran. In other words, you have to learn Arabic in order to read actual Quran, and it's a way to control three billion people or two billion people who declare Islam as their faith. But if you don't read or teach or uh, speak in Arabic, you can't actually read the Quran. You have to have somebody who does speak Arabic to tell you the truth. We've seen man and women throughout centuries create these levels of control over people with extra legalistic texts, regardless of the of the religion. And here we have, you know, you're all free from that. Good news. You're all free to be who you need to be in Jesus, and it's free from that. And then he says, the beauty of the right teaching is verse 12, you've been baptized. Baptism, time out. I've never talked about baptism in two years. I guess it's time that I do. Baptism is a biblical concept. Number one, baptism does not save you. Baptism is two things. Verse 12 tells us it is the symbolic act of worship and he says there in those verses that from there, we come down into the water and all of that stuff stays there. The old life stays there and up comes what? The new life in Jesus Christ. That's the first act of baptism. The second act of baptism is a public declaration of your faith to Jesus Christ. In my devotions today, I actually read scripture different from my sermon. In, Acts, in Luke chapter 12, he says, if you don't acknowledge me before men, I won't acknowledge you before the Father. When we get baptized, we baptize by making a declaration. When my wife and I had 12 house churches in the Islamic world and we baptized in the bathtubs, they truly weren't a part of the body of Christ. They could be spies, they could be governor agents coming into our Bible studies. It wasn't until they literally said, I wanna be baptized, that they were making a public allegiance change from whatever it was they came from, Islam, to Jesus. And I would say to you in this day and age, Wherever you are, if you've had infant baptism, I would ask you to go to your prayer closet and ask God whether or not you could do what we call adult or believer's baptism, that you could do it for yourself and actually experience what I just said. Others of you who've never been baptized, would you go to uh, our, our, our KCC Central or go to our app or email us? I believe there are a lot of people, even hearing my voice online here, who've never been baptized and it is a biblical, it doesn't save you, but it shows your faithfulness. It's your act of worship unto God. Does this make sense to anybody? So he's saying a call to beware of these things, these additional teachings, and understand, here's the key. Some, what we need to ask the question, is Christ sufficient? Let me ask you again. Is Christ sufficient for you? Is he enough? Everything else taken from you today. We walk out of here, your health, your family, your wealth, your title, your identity, Everything, if everything is taken away, is Christ enough? Not until you and I answer that question can we truly be alive. That's tough, isn't it? Not until we're there do we truly understand all the things I talk about week in and week out, that we are truly, completely His. That's what He's calling us to do. So the key point is this, Jesus and His teachings are sufficient. Can I get an amen? Those are the first two calls, the last one is this, a call to authentic forgiveness. A call to authentic forgiveness, verses 13 to 23. Somebody say forgive. forgive. Say it again, forgive. forgive. Now all of us, I, I preach forgiveness over and over again, but here's why I'm preaching at the last point, because it's scripture demands it. Number two is because we have different groups of people here. 
Some of you listening to my voice, you have never experienced forgiveness. Others of you, you've experienced forgiveness, but you did something really bad and you've never forgiven yourself. Some of you are in broken relationships and you've never forgiven that. This thing called unforgiveness is the most dramatic impact on believers' lives in all areas. I'll say it again. This act of unforgiveness is the one area in our lives as Christians that will have the greatest negative impact on our lives, completely and utterly upon our lives. We believe in forgiveness until it has to do with us. Verse 13 says, we move, when we get forgiveness, we move from what? Death to life. You were dead in your sins and now you are alive. And verse 14 says, anybody need this? God's forgiveness to you? He's canceled at the cross. Read it there in verse 14. He's canceled at the cross all of your sins. He nailed it to the cross. You want any other greater uh, assurance? Jesus signed it with his blood. You're forgiven from the very beginning. Now here's really good. This is good theology, you ready? I get so excited. You guys are getting excited because I'm clapping, but I was just excited because I was gonna say this. Now we got our claps all off. <laughs> Sorry, you guys are really patient, but this is really good. The forgiveness of the cross, it forgives our past. The forgiveness of the cross forgives our present. And hallelujah, the forgiveness of the cross forgives our future. That's pretty encompassing. That's what we're talking about here in these verses. It covers all of these things. Jesus' signature on it. And then he says in uh, verse 15 that we know that evil itself, evil itself is taken away. He says, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and he shamed them publicly by his victory. Let me explain what verse 15 is saying. All of us, and I've said this before, but it's worth saying again. We have these doorways into our life spiritual doorways and our unforgiveness allows the demonic to come into our lives and control and play havoc with us and it's all rooted from unforgiveness but the problem in the church is this we give a facade to it and we say oh i've forgiven myself i've forgiven god i've forgiven everybody else and we all watching your life and go that's forgiveness you know what i'm talking about when we have forgiveness, it transforms you from the inside out. Then what happens is those demonic strongholds, some of you don't know why you have demonic strongholds where you feel continue to struggle in sin. You can st continue to struggle in depression. You continue to struggle in loneliness. You continue to struggle with hope. All, and the list goes on and on and on. And you have these spiritual strongholds and it's basically rooted in unforgiveness, either in yourself or with others. And once you say, Lord God, forgive me, Jesus Christ, you paid the price. There's an old theological term that is worth saying here. He paid the price. The atonement was paid. The atonement of Christ is sufficient yesterday, today, and forever. And it's for every man, woman, child who says, I want it for all of us. And I know, I already hear some of you saying, well, wait a minute, Pastor, you don't know my stuff. I don't need to know your stuff. The cross of Jesus is bigger than your stuff. It is bigger than your stuff. And then there are those, now I'm just preaching. There are those of you out there that are followers of Jesus and you've loved Jesus, but you did something really, really bad. 
and you've said, forgive me, Lord, but you're living under the control of the enemy who continues to take your life down a path that God has never intended. It's time to rise up and say, enough is enough. I either believe this or I don't. Lord Jesus, make it real for me today. I'm tired. I'm fed up. I want to truly experience what it means to be forgiven in Jesus Christ. I want to experience it. I'm all, I, I'm all into, I love that they're forgiven. I love to hear their testimony. I want it to be your testimony. And I want it to be in your life today. Anybody with me now? This is what he's telling us to do. And evil will lose its authority. So coming back once we've experienced the forgiveness, then you have the power to say in the name of Jesus to every demonic force, you get away from me by the blood of Jesus. I am free, I am a victor. No longer will I live in defeat from this point forward. And if you're thinking this is a little radical and a little weird for you, I'm here to tell you this is biblical. I'm telling you the truth. Don't let your Western mindset, don't let your denominational background, don't let your tradition get in the way of biblical worldview. It doesn't have to be as hyper as the way I'm saying it, but nonetheless, it's still the truth. It's still the truth, my friends. And it's for you. We actually have a prayer team. Again, go to KCC Central. Email us. Go to my KCC app. If you're like, I need prayer, I need a team, we have a deliverance team here ready to serve, to take you through and love you in Jesus' name for victory. We are committed to see people live a victorious life. Now, this forgiveness has a last point, verses 16 and 17, and he talks about there is no condemnation. You are no longer condemned. You're no longer condemned. Many of you in a matter of a few moments will walk out of here, and I've prayed specifically for you, that you would not walk out of here any longer condemned. The enemy continues to throw fiery arrows at you day after day into your head. And that's why the Bible says transform your mind every day. You see these lies over and over again that you are condemned and you are, anybody that lives condemnation is what? Somebody with a big L on their forehead, I'm a loser. Can't tell you how many Christians I've talked to and said, that's just the way I am. There's nothing I can do till I get to heaven. That's a lie. I can never be victorious. Condemnation is demonic. Condemnation says you will never succeed. Condemnation will make you feel that you are not worth anything. Condemnation will make you feel like you are the least of all of these. But there's a difference. Romans 8 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're living a condemned life, you are living a, a fallacy in the law and it's time today to experience the forgiveness. Now, let me just clarify, there's a difference between condemnation, I hope you're here with me, and conviction. Conviction still stings. The role of the Holy Spirit is to convict you. And he won't, when you're convicted, you don't feel like a loser. You don't feel like you're worthless. It's like an Abba Daddy father coming alongside you. When I disciplined my kids when they were younger, and I loved them, and I cared for them, right? To not come alongside them was not to love them. And even the writer Hebrews says that he disciplines those he what? Loves. Any good father's gonna do that with his children, or is he not? So I, this was really hard for me in my early faith. I confused the condemnation and the conviction. You with me? And I would sit in a worship service and I would be overwhelmed of all of this guilt and all of this unnecessary stuff because the enemy was coming in and trying to make me a loser just to give up and say, to blank with it. 
That's where a lot of you are at. Just waiting for that one statement to blank with it and you quit. Conviction will never take you there. Conviction will give you and I a road to be more like Jesus once we experience the forgiveness that comes from him. You with me? The key point is this. Forgiveness is the foundation that enables us to experience the freedom and the intimacy of Jesus. Here's how I'm going to close. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, I pray this moment would be a truly holy moment for those that can hear my voice, either online or those that are in this room. This is a very important moment, folks. Very important moment. For saints, I ask you to start interceding now. In Jesus' name, I ask you to start interceding. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Would you look up this way? As Brant plays, here's what I know needs to happen. The last call to forgiveness. I knew, I didn't know until this morning. The Holy Spirit said to me, Mick, there are those in this room that are gonna be in that room who need to authentically experience forgiveness. And they need to say enough is enough. Some of them need to experience forgiveness for the very first time. But others have experienced the forgiveness. But in experiencing the forgiveness, something else happened in their life. And they can't either forgive themselves or they can't forgive God or they can't forgive somebody else. Let me just say this to you for those who know your heart's already beating. Go back to verse one. I'm not Paul and I do know you, but I agonize for you. There will be those of you that will hear my voice that will walk out these doors today and you won't make it final that you're forgiven. Praying that doesn't happen. So I'm asking those of you who can hear me, you know exactly what I'm saying. This is for believers and unbelievers alike. You didn't ask for the pain that was given you. Some of you are victims. And that's been playing havoc with you. Some of you have been holding it on for years. But there is somebody here that hears my voice that won't forgive themselves. You were raised in a Christian home, and you know what you did, and you, you went through the surface of forgiveness, but you've not gone there, and you wonder why you struggle. So here's what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to reach out and ask for that forgiveness today so that there could be true healing. Would you stand with me, church? It's a pretty bold statement that I'm calling you to, but it's pretty much life and death. I'm wondering to my right here to the gallery and up there and to the balcony and to the folks right here and to my left and up here and over here in the gallery, is there a man or a woman or a child that knows that they know enough is enough? You're gonna draw a line in the sand and say, I truly need to hear this call and I need the forgiveness that the word of God just declared to me and I'm tired and I want it. Would you? move out of your seat and come and kneel here the call is yours anybody enough is enough but yeah everybody's going to see you God forbid they're going to see that you would actually come
come and seek help. But you don't really care what other, just go ahead and if you can kneel, if you're able, go ahead and kneel. Keep praying, church, people are coming. This is a powerful, deep moment. Go ahead, those of uh, coming up here, they're already calling out to the Father. Go ahead, He will never disappoint you. He will never, they're still coming. There's tons of people still arriving here and the emotion up here is intense. Lord, meet each and every individual. those that KCC don't let anybody stand by themselves go ahead and let it out church he's here to meet you where you're at Don't pray behind them. Get down and talk to them how you can pray with them. somebody to pray for this couple over here. It's okay to, to linger in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Is that okay? For those of you who are still in your seats, can you start praying for these that are here? There's a deep work can happen right here. May it go deep. Go ahead, start praying for them, church. Care enough to pray, care enough to agonize for those that are seeking the Lord and their forgiveness that they need. Come on, church. Stand in the gap. Pray. Ask the Spirit to intercede for you. Come on, church. Let's call it out. Healing and restoration in Jesus' name. Forgiveness that goes as far as the east is from the west. True authentic forgiveness and healing. Bring healing to each and every individual. <clears throat> In Jesus' name, bring healing to each and every individual right here and right now. Give them the healing that they need as they seek your touch in their lives. Truly give them a new heart and a new mind. Enable them to experience what it means to be all that you want them to be right now in Jesus' name truly enable them to rise up knowing that our God is able and is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Truly grant them what they need. Hallelujah. 